a great introduction about who I am and what Chi Alpha is. I had it all written up, but uh, when he was talking about it, I got so excited I was going to kick the worship band off the stage. But uh, So thank you guys. Thanks for uh, being here, allowing me to be here this morning. I'm super excited to share just what God is doing on campus. Brennan was 100% right when he said, you guys are changing lives in Pennsylvania because of what you're doing here um, in Bemis Point. And uh, so when I was at Chi Alpha, I was, when I was a student at Edinburgh, I was involved in Chi Alpha as a student leader. And so just recently, um, I graduated two years ago, but just this year I started working on staff full time. And man, God is raising up a generation for his kingdom. And it is just so exciting to be there and to watch that. And this church has supported me through every step, through every growth, through every growing pain. Um, and in these last short seven months, since August, 30 students braved the Allegheny Wilderness tent camping, no toilets, no showers, just the great outdoors. <laughs> um, getting one with nature, we just throw them right in. Uh, 9,000 uh, Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes were packed and shipped to countries around the world. 49 students are preparing to serve in Nicaragua in three short weeks. Uh, in the last seven months, hundreds of students were prayed for on our campus. Close to 47 nights were spent worshiping God and hearing about his message, about his character. Close to 324 times students met in small group Bible studies and dug into God's word on our campus. Literally hundreds of Tim Hortons drinks were shared. Hundreds of roll up the rim to win were lost a lot by, a lot by me. Uh, still haven't won anything. But they were shared hashing out life's difficulties, celebrating life's joys. In the last seven months, 27 students were baptized, declaring that they are Team Jesus in front of hundreds of their peers. 13 students were called to give a year in foreign missions after graduation and maybe even a lifetime. In the last seven months, Alex saw some of his friends living for Christ and was intrigued by the mystery of the God that they served but never knew the depth. And at one cavalry retreat, he took a risk and met God on a personal level. And now we watch his life as his life honors and glorifies God. And he carries out that legacy that his friends began. In the last seven months, Desi has found a real family and a real heavenly father that loves her and makes her feel valued and heard for the first time since being tossed around in foster homes and never really feeling like she was loved by anyone. And in the last seven months, Jonathan raised his hands and danced in worship singing, I am not alone, for the first time since his last suicide attempt. For the first time in his entire life, he shared the deepest pain inside of him and started getting help because we just kept telling him, Jesus loves you, and so do we. And in the last seven months, Chi Alpha has strived to introduce college students on Edinburgh's campus to Jesus. And it isn't a scientific formula. It's never exactly the same. It's hard to explain. But it's always life-changing, it's always life-giving, and it's always their eternity that's at stake. So in the last seven months, if I've learned one thing, it's that God loves writing incredible stories. He loves taking ragtag nobodies and making them somebodies. He loves taking the typical sleep-deprived college student and making a world changer out of them. He loves taking you and me, the nine-to-fiver, the, the banker, the lawyer, the cafeteria manager, the physical therapist, the insurance agent, the beach body coach. He loves taking them and making kingdom shakers. 
And do you know why God loves writing such incredible stories? Because he loves to show that he has what it takes to come through. Most of the time, um, it's, not, it's not in the nature of God to limit his risks. And most of the time, he lets the odds actually stack up against him. Just the stories that we see in scripture, the children of Israel pinned against the Red Sea with Pharaoh's arm really bearing down on him in a murderous fury, then God shows up. There's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abendo who get thrown into the fiery furnace and saved only after they're thrown in there. Then God shows up. Against Goliath, a seasoned soldier and trained killer, he sends a freckled-faced little shepherd boy in with a slingshot. And with Gideon, he cuts his army from 32,000 to a measly 300 and then equips what's left with torches and watering pots. God loves writing incredible stories, doesn't he? In the last seven months, I thought a lot about the way that God handles the gospel. He needs to get this message out to the entire human race because without it, we'll perish forever. So first he starts with the most unlikely group ever, a few prostitutes, a couple fishermen, a tax collector, and then he passes the baton to us, the banker, the lawyer, the cafeteria manager, the physical therapist, the beach body coach. And it's just unbelievable. God loves writing incredible stories. So my question to you this morning is what makes a good story and how will you make yours count? According to my years in Literature 101 at Jamestown Community College, good old local education, there are four parts that make up a good story. The antagonist, the part that raises some conflict in the story. Um, the protagonist, the, the main character, that's usually you if it's your story. The conflict that, uh, that opposes, you know, something has to happen, there's, a, there's tension, there's a conflict you overcome. And then there's the resolution. But in my last seven months on campus, I've seen that bravery makes a good story. I've seen that sacrifice makes a good story. That grit and determination and not giving up and counting the cost makes a good story. Things that Mr. Higgins and Lit 101 at JCC may have missed. <laughs> so this morning I want to read a parable that Jesus tells, us in, uh, tells his disciples in Luke 14. And we'll start in verse 28. It's about counting the cost uh, and being a disciple of Jesus. Um, but since we're talking about writing good stories this morning, um, we're going to look at it in light uh, kind of both of those things. So it says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Good stories are made from staying and being brave regardless of the earthly cost. Because the truth about telling good stories with your life is it's going to sound like a great idea. You're going to want to do it. But when it comes down to it, you're just not going to want to do the work that it takes to get there. People love to have lived a great story, but few people like the work it takes to make it happen. So good stories count the cost. Good stories don't quit. Jesus is saying... This is my, uh, you hear the Eugene Peterson paraphrase message version. This is the Chi Alpha Becca Ottaway version. Yeah, it says, suppose you want to build a tower. Won't you first figure out if you have enough to do it? Because if you don't, then there's going to be a lot of unfinished towers making the city look kind of pathetic. The unfinished tower syndrome, the half-written story. Where in your life did you start a mission for God but built half the tower and quit? 
When did you begin to unravel and lay out a dream that God placed in your heart, but somewhere along the line got sidetracked, so you built half a tower and you quit? Who in your life did you begin investing in, pouring into, helping, loving, then it got hard, so you went looking for an easier story? Luke 14, 28, sit down and estimate the cost before you launch the building project. Simple truth, hard to activate. This passage is saying, make sure you know what it takes to be a disciple or, and what it takes to write a good story. Make sure you understand the implications. The pain it's gonna cost, the sleepless nights, the complications, the sacrifice, count it all up. Count it up, but when the days are hard, you can say, I've planned for this. And you can get through it with the help of Jesus. Because good stories count the cost, you can say no more unfinished towers, no more half projects, no more half-written stories. Because I think the deeper meaning of, of um, estimating the cost in this parable is that as we count up the numbers, as we figure the sacrifices, we realize without a doubt it will cost more than we have. To live a story completely sold out to the kingdom of God, to be a disciple of Christ, it will take more than we have to give. It will cost more than we will ever earn. It will require more than we could ever give emotionally or physically or spiritually or mentally. But the beauty, in fact, of counting the cost, of living a great story, is that we on our own will never have what it takes. On our own, our, the terrain of our life will be full of ha unfinished towers and half-written stories, projects we've abandoned, kingdom purposes that required too much sacrifice. So Jesus is saying here, good stories aren't about mustering up on our own the resources to have what it takes. If a builder sits down to calculate the cost, he knows he can't finish without help. So the secret of writing in a good story is in its impossibility. It was never meant to be written on our own, in our own wisdom, at our own power, out of our own revelation. So, so don't be discouraged by your unfinished towers and half-written stories. Be motivated by them. Be driven by them. Get to Jesus and ask him for whatever it takes that you're lacking on your own to help you finish the story, to write the next page, to build the next tower. Because God loves writing incredible stories. He loves to show us he has what it takes to come through. So this is Caitlin. I'm just going to pull her, pull her up there. Caitlin is an example of a story you helped write from right here in Bemis. She actually came from Delaware, so she's now in Edinburgh. But Caitlin was in my small group last year. She was timid and shy and soft-spoken. And she shared with us a lot about her, her troubled past, verbally and sexually abused. It caused her to self-harm a lot. So she came in to, to Edinburgh to Kayafa just really broken. But God had a different story to write for Caitlin. God was healing Caitlin. Through the small group, the girl shared scripture verses with her, uh, and she would write them on her wrists. And so when she felt the need to self-harm, she would look at her wrists and say, she would see written there, Psalm 139, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. 2 Corinthians 5.12, you're a new creation. 2 Peter 2.9, you are God's special possession. And we watched as God transformed Caitlin and healed Caitlin from some of her deepest wounds. And it wasn't an easy journey. It was a lot of three steps forward, two steps back moments. But those girls didn't stop building that tower. They didn't stop praying for Caitlin and encouraging Caitlin. And they didn't go looking for an easier story. They stuck with Caitlin. 
Uh, she was born with holes in her ears and she couldn't hear well, if at, at all, uh, for most of her life. But when I say that God's raising up a generation for his kingdom, I'm not exaggerating. This weekend, past weekend, we went to Washington, D.C. for our Chi Alpha winter retreat. And some of our students, our students just have a, a high expectation of God of, of, yeah, why wouldn't God do this for us? Why wouldn't God answer that prayer for us? So they're just praying for each other all the time, just expecting him to show up. And at the winter retreat, they prayed for Caitlin for healing um, of her ears, for full restoration of her hearing. And God healed her. She's holding her hearing aids in her hand because she doesn't need them anymore. It's amazing. And we tested it plenty of times. We're like, really, did that just happen? Um, but she would turn around. If she was, her back was facing you, she wouldn't be able to tell what you were saying or who was really even talking. Um, but she could tell that someone was talking, but we would test it over and over again. We're like, go down there, turn your back around, and we're going to you know, say something. And she could hear us. She could hear us when we would whisper. But I hope you're seeing it by now that God loves writing incredible stories. Because of your prayerful investment, your financial investment in Chi Alpha over these last seven months, you are a part of writing Caitlin's story. Good stories count the cost. They don't quit. <laughs> Where is God asking you to, uh, for endurance or for persistence so that he can continue to write an incredible story in your life? I know that was a lot. Everybody can, can breathe now um, because I have more and it's great. <laughs> so um, in the last seven months, I've, I've seen that good stories count the cost. I've seen that, seven, uh, that good stories require sacrifice. I'm not able to count up the hours of sleep that I have missed out on because Desi invites me to every single game night that they host ever. And it doesn't start till like 11 p.m. because they're college students. And I'm like, I don't want to go, but I'm going to. Um, I have, can't count the number of hours of sleep I've missed because Sydney and Abby and I are in the studio just hanging out. I'm with them while they're doing their homework, just talking and, and getting to know them and goofing around with them. Shelby's feeling lonely and just needs someone to talk to, so she calls me at midnight. Good stories count the cost and count the sacrifice. Is it worth it? But it's in those moments that Jesus shows up the most. Another layer of insecurity is peeled back, you know, and another wall is broken down. Another page is written of the story. Jesus talks about sacrifice in the parable of the rich young ruler in Mark 10, 17. Um, he says, as he was sitting, setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him. And he asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to them, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus uh, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Sacrifice writes good stories. The rich young ruler wasn't willing to sacrifice what he had for what he didn't. 
And God's not saying you have to sell all your possessions and give all your extra funds to mission. I wouldn't oppose if that's what he's leading you to do. You can send it my way. But he's saying you have to want all these things less than you want me. Your attachment to your possessions needs to be replaced by an attachment to me. I get this imagery. It's as if, the, if, if it's as though this man stood there with his hands just full of money, and Jesus says, you lack one thing, reach out and take my hands. But instead of opening his fingers and letting the money fall, he hung his head and walked away, never knowing what his story could have been. The one thing he needs is not what, what falls out of his hands, but what he, what he takes into his hands once he lets go. In January, we took 23 of our students to Houston, Texas, to the World Mission Summit. National Chi Alpha is partners with the Assemblies of God um, World Missions, and they hosted a strategic gathering every four years that focuses on God's global mission to reach the lost around the globe. So this year, there were more than 6,000 Chi Alpha students in attendance uh, from across the United States. And our tiny group of 23 from a little northwestern corner of Pennsylvania was radically changed. I watched as 23 of our students stood there with hands open, willing to let go of their possessions to grab on to a better story. Because they understood that in the kingdom of God, one plus one does not equal two. One plus one equals 60, 70, 100, 80,000 fold. 13 of our students were answered the call that night uh, of the Great Commission to give a year in foreign missions and to pray about a lifetime. 13 of our students opened up their hands and said, I want you, Jesus, more than all of these things, and I'll go if you send me. In the last seven months, I have seen sacrifice make great stories. Our students are spending every extra hour that they have working at Chick-fil-A to raise every extra penny that they can to save it so that they can go spend a year sharing the love of Jesus with unreached people groups of Northern India, of Nepal, of Indonesia, of Latin America, and so many more. They're sacrificing the American dream with the typical nine to five job and the X amount of paychecks, five figure paychecks, to write great stories, to allow God to write great stories in them and in others that they touch. It reminds me of the story of Job in the Old Testament. Right, Job was a, a righteous man of God and he was plagued by all of these awful things to prove he would still live all in for Jesus. Job found contentment and even joy outside of the context of comfort, health, or stability and he understood the story was not about him. He cared more about the story than he did about himself. So I wanna share with you this morning some stories that were birthed out of the World Mission Summit and out of your commitment to praying for Chi Alpha. Caitlin W. says, God is calling me to go, and wherever he sends me with the leading of his Holy Spirit, I will go. I remember praying during one of these sessions for God to give me a heart for a specific people group, and God said instead that he was going to give me a heart for him, and that was going to give me a heart for all people. Taylor S., throughout the course of the week, God started to uncover my heart and called me to Indonesia. And first of all, I had no idea where that was. I was confused at what that meant. But through more research and talking to some of the missionaries there, I learned that Indonesia has the highest Muslim population in the entire world. And even though I'm hesitant, I am not uncertain, and I know that I am called to go. Jesse H., while I was at the World Mission Summit, God broke some chains that were holding me back from going into missions. Family stuff and fear and doubt. But with those chains being broken and being freed from that, I decided to give a year to missions. 
I don't know where, but I'm ready to say yes. Nicole W. said, leaving the World Mission Summit, I had my heart break for the lost and for the international students on our campus. And God orchestrated this situation so perfectly that on our plane ride home, I sat next to a man from South Korea and was able to pray for him and his family. And he had never had anything, anyone do something like that for him before. And I feel God calling me to give a year as intern for Chi Alpha to reach the international students on our campus. Michaela L. said the coolest part of the World Mission Summit for her was the night we were invited to give a year. God gave me this vision of a girl in Nicaragua and we were playing together and just smiling. And God said, I'm going to save her because she's going to see me through you. And she, she said, I just started crying because I was so happy and overwhelmed knowing that because I said yes, there's a little girl in Nicaragua that's going to know Jesus and so many more. And I know that I am sent. Amanda was called to Peru, Elizabeth to Latin America, Caitlin to Nepal, Deanna to Turkey, Linnea to India, Kayla to East Africa, and the list goes on. Allie will be on our staff team next year, and she says it best when she reflects on all of these stories. She says, God is passing the baton to us, the next generation, the millennials, to finish the Great Commission. And she says, I feel like the millennials, we get this bad rap that we're broke college students and lazy and we just eat pizza. But God is really focusing on this generation to go into all the world and preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. And she says, I think that's something that really stuck with us, our group, our students, because we're in that age bracket and it's our turn to rise up and to go. To watch thousands of students commit to giving a year overseas, to watch a few of our own Edinburgh students be so moved by God to say, I'm going to go to Indonesia. I'm going to Nepal. I know that God is calling me to Latin America. To see the potential that God has just with these, our own Edinburgh students to shake the ground for his kingdom. God loves writing incredible stories. You are a part of these stories. You are sacrificing finances and time and energy to pray for us, to get on your knees and on your faces and intercede for a radical movement of God in the students of Edinburgh's campus. You are a part of writing all of these stories. You're a part of finishing their towers. You're a part of sending them uh, because of your, your investment in me as a missionary. As a staff member, I get to be there to disciple these students to say, don't forget the vision, don't forget this calling, because life is gonna get hard, you're gonna lose heart, you're gonna want to, to leave the tower unfinished and go looking for an easier story. And I'm privileged to be the one that's there to encourage them, to say, don't give up, don't quit writing your story. These students' stories could have been anything else. Alex would still not know Jesus, Desi would still feel unloved and unseen, Jonathan, might not even be here with us today. But their stories are changing because of what's happening in Chi Alpha. You are a part of these stories. Thank you. Thank you for helping God write incredible stories in these students. At the end of the day, we all want our stories to end with well done, good and faithful servant. What are you doing today to make your story count? What, where do you need to be brave to, so that God can write an incredible story? What are you needing to give up or let go of so that God can write an incredible story? Maybe you're in the conflict part of the story and, and you're just not seeing how God can show up with a resolution. <clears throat> Maybe you don't believe God can write incredible stories because you've just lived too many bad endings. 
You have too many unfinished towers and half-written stories. Maybe it feels more like a blank page because you've never known a love that chases you down and goes to the ends of the earth, to the deepest pits, the darkest places, to chase you down and bring light to even the most hopeless stories you find yourself living. But you can. You can know that love because Jesus is pursuing you and he started writing the greatest story of all when he came to earth as a baby. God sent his only son to be sin so that when he pours his wrath out on mankind, it wouldn't fall on us. It would fall entirely on him because he says, I love you. I see potential in you and I want to write an incredible story with your life. We live in a world where bad stories are told. Stories that teach us life doesn't mean anything and that humanity has no great purpose. But if you'll be fiercely committed to counting the cost, to deepening and transforming, if you'll be fiercely committed to wanting Jesus more than all these other things, it will be impossible to hide against the background of an unrhythmic, broken world. Incredible stories will start flooding the news channels and the newspaper, your Facebook feeds and Snapchat stories. Because once you've lived a good story, you get a taste for that kind of meaning in life. And you can't go back to being normal. You can't go back to meaningless scenes stitched together by forgettable threads of wasted time. Donald Miller in his book, A Million Miles in a Hundred Years, says it like this. I don't wonder anymore what I'll tell God when I go to heaven, when we sit in the chairs under the tree outside the city. I'll tell these things to God and he'll laugh I think he'll remind me of the parts I forgot, the parts that were his favorite. We'll sit together and remember my story, and then he'll stand and put his arm around me and say, well done, and that he liked my story. And my soul won't be thirsty anymore. Finally, he'll turn and we'll walk towards a city, a city he will have spoken into existence, a city built in place where there once had been nothing, where there once had been an unwritten story. I wanna pray for us this morning before we close out, but first I wanna say thank you. Thank you for being a part of my story. I'm only able to be here to share these incredible stories because you guys were a part of writing mine, of building that tower, of leaving the story not unfinished. You supported me prayerfully and financially as I stepped out in faith and risked and sacrificed and lived this story the last seven months with Chi Alpha. And my story would be half it is without yours. So don't stop writing your story. And may it always point to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are so humbled and so thankful that you choose to write incredible stories, even when we feel like there's nothing for us that we can give. God, you take what we have to offer and you turn it into something incredible. Thank you for not leaving our tower unfinished, for coming and starting to write the most incredible story with humanity. God, we surrender what we have to you this morning. We ask you to come and write, continue to write incredible story with our life. Whatever we have, Jesus, we, we sacrifice it. We, we surrender it to you, Jesus. And we know that in the end, it always points to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.